and well met everyone. Welcome to Geek Thyself, a podcast by a nerd for other nerds that love geeking out over random facts and esoteric trivia. My name is Heather and I'll be your host as we journey into the wondrous land of information. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Geek Thyself. I want to start off by apologizing for the unexpected two-week hiatus. The first week, you know, everyone knows how crazy the holidays can get. I just didn't end up scheduling myself enough time to be able to record an episode before my husband and I had plans with my family and then didn't have time while I was with my family to record. So, well, plus nowhere to record. I would have been recording in their dining room or something and the audio would have been horrible, which takes me into my next week's missing episode. I did post something last week on Twitter about not having an episode come out because of audio issues. Part of the whole New Year craziness was that my husband and I moved me into a new room in the house to use as my recording room. And sorry, my cat's yelling in the background. You can probably hear that a little. But um, when we did the move, I had to set everything up and the audio quality in the new room was not good initially. I had a horrible, horrible echo. I kept trying to get rid of it and just couldn't. So at a certain point, I just called it and said, I don't want to send something out that's super awful sounding and horribly echoey. So I decided to just wait a week. This week, hopefully you guys can hear the difference. I got something set up so that the audio quality in this room is a lot better. Um, I will say, This has nothing to do with this week's topic, but just as a side note for anyone out there who's thinking, maybe I want a podcast. Audio quality is a big thing. Statistics have shown, and this is something that we talk about with all of our creators, that people will forgive your video quality way faster than they'll forgive your audio quality. So if you're doing something that involves one or the other and you have to pick, please choose audio quality because like echoiness and awful scratchy soundingness no one wants to hear it so they're more likely to shut off your show or not listen or switch to something else so just a little side note but because of that I really really didn't want to send out something to you guys that was horrible quality audio so I waited a week got it situated got it figured out and here we are this week's episode is going to be about the difference between western new year and Asian New Year. Specifically, I'm planning to focus on some of the differences in terms of calendar, because for a lot of people out there, you may know, oh, well, the Chinese New Year never falls on regular New Year's, but not everyone really understands why. So the Gregorian calendar is the calendar that most of the world uses to determine the dates of the month and the days of the week and when holidays fall and all of that sort of thing. The Gregorian calendar is actually named after Pope Gregory XIII, who was the originator of this calendar. He made changes to a previous one that the Catholic Church had, and the reason he did it is because he wanted the dates to be more consistent around Easter specifically. So they were trying to figure out a way to make sure that the dates on the calendar matched up with sort of what they were scheduling to keep things consistent. The changes he made also in ended up resulting in things like the leap years that you and I now know. At least I hope everyone's aware of leap years. If you're little and happen to listen to my show, then maybe not. But essentially a leap year happens every four years. 
And one of the things that's interesting that I didn't actually know until I was doing my research for this episode is that technically the rule is every year that is exactly divisible by four is a leap year, except for years that are exactly divisible by a hundred. But those are centurial years and they're leap years if they are exactly divisible by 400. So as an example, the year 1700 was not a leap year because it wasn't divisible by 400, but the year 2000 was a leap year. So that was something that I thought was interesting because I never realized that there were exceptions to leap years. I just always thought it was every four years. So that was kind of fun to find out. Um, obviously for most of us right now, the year 2000 was the most recent that that rule would have come into effect and it was divisible by 400. So it was still a leap year. So it's, you know, not something that would have been made a big deal out of. However, in the year 2100, which, oh gosh, is not as far away as it seemed at one point, (laughs) um, that year will not be a leap year because it's not divisible by 400. So that's kind of cool. It's an interesting rule also, but because of the way he broke down the calendar, it kept dates more consistent throughout the year. So you had equinoxes and solstices and holidays that are based off of those things falling on more consistent weeks, or at least close to. So things like Easter, for example, fall more regularly within a certain time frame. It wasn't perfect, you know, it's not the same exact thing every year, but it did help keep things pretty close and it made it much more easy for them to schedule major holidays. Part of the reason it spread so quickly, beyond the fact that it was developed by the Catholic Church, so it spread with Christianity, is also the fact that it was very consistent and easy to follow. And so now it's the one that's most widely used around the world. Most people, they may not even know it's called this, but they use the Gregorian calendar. That's the one that you and I here use in the United States. It's the one that gets used in most of Europe and most of Asia. There are other calendars, though, and there's other calendar types. Specifically, the one I'm talking about today is the Chinese calendar or Asian calendar. Is That's how I've always heard it. But then again, my family's Japanese, not Chinese, so they wouldn't have necessarily called it the Chinese calendar. But... Either way, no matter what you call it, that particular calendar is based off of a lunisolar calendar. So what that means is that it bases the dates off of astronomical events, so things dealing with the sun and the moon, rather than dealing with just like a set date. The Gregorian calendar does involve those, but it's not entirely based off of them. This is why the Asian New Year or Chinese New Year is always very different by several weeks to a couple of months sometimes from the Gregorian New Year of January 1st and December 31st. So those dates are not based off of just what's happening with the moon and the sun, whereas for the lunisolar calendar that the Chinese New Year is based off of, it is. That's why the date is so different. I mean, for example... I was born in 1985, according to the Gregorian calendar, but I was born very early, well, kind of around the middle of February. And because of that, my birth date, if you use the Western Gregorian calendar, falls in 1985. However, 
my Asian calendar, if you go based off of the Chinese calendar that's used for, you know, the year of the boar, year of the dog, all that sort of thing, I was born in 1984 because the Chinese New Year didn't happen until after my birthday in 1984. So depending on which calendar you use, if you go by the Chinese zodiac, I am a rat according to the Chinese calendar, and I'm an ox according to the Gregorian calendar, which honestly, I kind of have traits from both of them, but it just depends on which one you prefer. But it's something interesting that I think a lot of people don't fully realize is how different those two calendars fall. And also whether or not it affects which zodiac they should actually be. Because technically, if you're going to do Chinese astrology, you should follow the Chinese calendar, which means I'm a rat. And I'm okay with that. I like I like rats and oxes. Like, I have no problem with either of those. And there are a lot of other people who also fall into this category. I will say, if you are someone who's interested in astrology and didn't realize that there were two ways to look at that calendar, I would suggest going ahead and looking at your year, the year you were born. So for example, I was born in 1985 and seeing when the Chinese New Year happened. Because if you're born in January, February, and sometimes very early March, you might actually be the previous year's astrological sign based off the Chinese calendar, excuse me, zodiac sign based off the Chinese calendar. So my Chinese zodiac sign is a rat based off the Chinese calendar. Whereas my Chinese zodiac sign based off the Western calendar is an ox. Just, again, using that as an example. So if that's something that interests you, I would suggest you go look at it and see, you know, maybe the year before would fit you a lot better than the one you're currently in. Never know. But it's an interesting discrepancy between the two. And I've always found it very interesting that they were so different and never really understood why as a kid. I just knew they were. Now, as an adult, of course, at some point, I heard that the Chinese calendar was lunar-based and the Western calendar wasn't. Looking into it more for this episode, I was able to find out that it's kind of both. The Western calendar is loosely based on lunar dates. It does include them, but it doesn't do it the same way the Chinese calendar does. The Chinese calendar which also sometimes is referred to as the rural calendar or farming calendar, is based very strictly off of the lunar cycles and when they fall. And because of that, it makes the way the months break down very different. So as an example, this year, the Chinese New Year doesn't happen until February 5th, I believe. Yes, February 5th is Chinese New Year. So that's incredibly different from what we just had. And that also means anyone out there who may have been born anytime this January or the very beginning of February is technically a dog and not a boar or pig, depending on which one you want to go with. Also, for anyone who doesn't know, this coming year, 2019, is the Chinese zodiac year of the boar or year of the pig, depending on which person is saying it. I've heard both. I did cover... 
Chinese Zodiac stuff in terms of sort of origins in a different episode because I covered Western versus Eastern astrology. So I'm not going to go into like super crazy detail about that. But there is an old story about how the Zodiacs became who they are, you know, the different years, how how did anyone pick the 12 animals, all that kind of stuff. And part of that story is basically that there was a race or a feast of some kind and everyone had to get there. And as they arrived, they were put in order. The pig arrived last. And the reason why he arrived last, there's different different stories, you know, depending on what their traditions are. Some say that the pig arrived last because he was lazy. So he stopped and took a nap during the race or he stopped and ate during the race. Other stories say that something happened to his house and he had to fix it. So it took him longer to get there and then he had no choice but to be the last animal to arrive. There's other ones that say he couldn't swim well, so he couldn't get across the river and it took him longer. You know, all this kind of thing. There's a whole bunch of different ones. But regardless of which one you subscribe to, I definitely think it's an interesting story so if that's something that interests you go check it out it's a different episode i can't remember the number right now but it was labeled as eastern and western astrology so it should be relatively easy to find okay and now i'm gonna go into my mid-roll and i've got a big announcement for it so please stick around and when i come back i'll be talking more about some of the celebration traditions that are different between the Western New Year's that happens on December 31st and January 1st, and Asian New Year. Okay, everyone, welcome to the mid-rolls. So, starting off, I want to talk about World Anvil. They're amazing. We love them. They are the most robust world-building site that's out there. It's worldanvil.com. We use them for several of the Nerdsmith shows, including Chaotic Goodness, which is one of our other podcasts, as well as Countless Heroes, which is our streaming show on Twitch, which runs five nights, excuse me, five days a week and has a very robust world building uh, situation going on. So definitely check it out. If you're a writer, if you're a DM and want to build up your world, anything like that, worldanvil.com is an amazing resource. The next thing I want to talk about is the big announcement, which I'm so excited to talk about. So we are now working with Die Hard Dice. Die Hard Dice is this amazing company. Todd and his team are really awesome, nice people. They design the dice, usually Todd, the owner, is the one doing it. Todd designs the dice. They have a couple manufacturers they work with, but... Everything is designed by them. And for anyone out there who's seen the really nice polyhedral dice online that have like the rounded edges and they're these nice heavy metal dice, um, it's possible that the design is one that Todd did. These diehard dice are fantastic. And I also just want to give a shout out to the integrity of the company because they didn't want us to talk about how awesome they are until we actually had dice from them. He went the extra mile and wanted to make sure that anyone in our network who was going to be talking about diehard dice actually physically had their own set of diehard dice because he didn't want anyone to fake it at all. He wanted it to be a real genuine reaction to how much they like the product which I just think is phenomenal because there's a lot of companies out there that do not do that. So shout out to them for that because I was very impressed by that personally. 
on top of that, they have been amazing and given us a whole bunch of ways to help you guys save money. So first of all, I would recommend keeping an eye out for giveaways throughout the network. We're super excited to be able to give their dice away. They are heavy and beautiful. The metal dice are gorgeous and also, you know, lucky for me so far. I'm hoping that sticks. But if you want to go to their site, it's dieharddice.com. Definitely recommend you check it out. They've got a ton of different colorways and gorgeous setups. And one nice thing that I absolutely love is a couple of their metal lines. Instead of having the pointy sharp corners that kill you when you step on one by accident, he actually rounded the corners a little bit. So if you step on a D4, it doesn't impale you. Instead, it, I mean, it hurts, but you can still walk afterwards. Or if you drop your heavy metal dice on your table, you don't end up with this gigantic gouge from the corner of the dice. So as someone who likes metal dice, but also likes my furniture to not die, I really appreciate that. So if you go there and make your first purchase with this code, geek thyself, you'll get 15% off. So I definitely recommend if you're interested in the dice, you go check that out. Again, that coupon code is geekthyself at checkout, and you'll get 15% off your first order. Now, if you've already ordered with Die Hard Dice before, then it'll be 15% off your next order. But I can't say enough about the company, I'm, and I'm super excited to be working with Todd and his team. They've been amazing so far. My cat agrees. You can hear him yelling in the background. <laughs> He's supporting them as well. And with that, I'm going to get back to this week's topic. And don't forget to go check out Die Hard Dice. Okay, so some of the differences between Asian New Year celebrations and Western New Year celebrations. Now, most of us listening, I'm assuming most of my audience is probably Western world. So, you know, US, UK, Europe maybe South America, maybe, I don't know. Hi, if so. But um, because of that, most of us celebrate New Year's similarly. And honestly, even over in Asian countries, this gets celebrated quite a bit now as well. December 31st, you know, people watch the New Year's Eve stuff on TV, the ball drops in New York, all this kind of stuff. But also people go out and they'll be drinking and celebrating and ringing in the New Year, one of the traditions for some people is that, you know, you kiss someone at midnight. I feel like that's more of a Western thing and maybe isn't done so much over in Asia, but it's definitely a thing over here. You know, you kiss someone at midnight and say happy new year and all that kind of stuff. Lots of celebration. And then the next day, of course, everyone's nursing a hangover. <laughs> um, or at least a lot of people are nursing hangovers. Myself, I don't drink much, but I know there's people out there who do, which is fine as long as you're doing it carefully. And so for us, New Year's tends to get celebrated more so on New Year's Eve rather than New Year's Day, which is January 1st. January 1st is still a holiday. Everyone gets it off and all that kind of stuff, unless you're in certain fields, you know, medical and public safety, things like the police force doesn't always get those days off, which, you know... Thank you for your service if you're out there listening. We appreciate it. But Asian New Year is a little different and the biggest celebration is usually New Year's Day. So, for example, those of us that are over here with Asian descent in 
the U.S. and whatnot. Um, you know, I've mentioned before my mother is Japanese-American, and so is her family. Growing up, for me, New Year's meant New Year's Day. New Year's Eve was like, eh, okay, whatever, the year's coming to an end. But New Year's Day was a big deal. We would go over to one of my great aunt's houses, and there's just, just I can't even describe to you, just counters and counters of food everywhere. And family members would come and go. People would stop in and say hi and visit and eat and then go back out, maybe see the rest of their family. But for a lot of Asian celebrations, the New Year's Day was a a bigger deal than the New Year's Eve. Now, every family is going to have slightly different traditions and may change that around depending on what works for them. In my family, at least, we stuck with the New Year's Day, and that was the biggest celebration. I remember, you know, even from a very young age, like really little teeny tiny, you know, five, six, going over with my parents and eating and chatting and getting to visit with a bunch of my family and family that I didn't see often would sometimes come as well because it was something where there was no expected, like you had to stay all day. You could just swing by, say hi, grab some food, talk to people, and then leave again. So you didn't have to feel like you couldn't go see the rest of your family or go see other sides of your family because it was designed to be a come say hi and then leave again situation. Now that particular setup was very specific for my family. I don't know that everyone does it that way. And then of course, in terms of big celebrations and not just the little family ones, there are the big festivals. I do think that even if people weren't aware of some of the differences between the two calendars, most people have at least seen some images of a Chinese New Year celebration. The festival with the dragons and sometimes there's fireworks and things like that, the big parades. It is still done in quite a few Asian countries. Some of the biggest ones where it's celebrated include um, places where there's large overseas Chinese populations. So, for example, I'm in California. Over here in San Francisco, which is just a couple hours south of me, there's a big Chinese New Year celebration in Chinatown every year. It's a huge thing. That's a big celebration. There's other cities in California that do it. I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, that LA has a bit of a Chinese New Year celebration as well. So some of the big major cities that have large Asian and Chinese populations have this happen. There's also other countries outside of the U.S. that do it. For example, there's places like Singapore and Indonesia and Malaysia and the Philippines and stuff that have large enough concentration of Chinese immigrants that they have those types of celebrations or in some cases for example in japan asian new year's also celebrated as a traditional thing it's not as big as it was before by any means it's it's not as large but there is still people who celebrate it and have little parades and things Another interesting thing is that the Chinese festival can actually last for several days. It's not a single day. Now, obviously, you know, in my experience, a lot of us over here, they may celebrate multiple days, but the biggest day is the big parade day. At least that's the one that gets televised and, you know, people know about it the most. So there's a lot of different days and it depends on how much of the tradition they follow. One interesting thing is that according to some mythology, one of the reasons the color red is such a big deal 
for the Chinese New Year is that there was a village being terrorized every year on the New Year by some sort of monster called Nian. I'm not sure I'm saying that right. N-I-A-N. And Nian would eat people. And so one year, the villagers, just fed up with having people be eaten and their village destroyed, decided to go hide. But there was one old man who said, oh, no, no, I'm going to stay here. All of you go hide. I'm going to, you know, put out lots of color and red things and make lots of noises and see if I can scare him off and get revenge on him by playing tricks on him or by, you know, chasing him off. And when the villagers arrived the next day to their town, they discovered that the village was still standing. Nothing had been destroyed. They couldn't find any trace of the old man. And so they realized that the old man might have been some sort of deity who had come to give them a clue on how to defeat the monster, which included using the color red and making loud noises. So things like firecrackers, which are a very traditional Chinese New Year celebration uh, point. You always hear firecrackers. The firecrackers and wearing lots of red and all the noise and everything became part of the mythology of the holiday, which I think is very interesting. And of course, there's a lot of different foods that are more traditionally get fed and eaten and just at Asian New Year's. Um, I'm not familiar with the Chinese ones. <laughs> I know that for Japanese New Year with my family, there was a traditional dish. I can never remember the name of it, but it's these little black beans and they're ridiculously sweet, like super, super sweetened. And you're supposed to eat three of them every year and at New Year's, at least three. You can have more, but you have to have at least three. And it's supposed to be one for fertility, one for longevity, and one for wealth or good fortune. So basically it's a, you start off the year with those three things in mind sort of idea. And I'm sure there's a lot of traditions like that for different Chinese families that are something similar or there's certain foods you only eat during that time of year. Another thing that happens specifically with the Chinese New Year, I personally have never had this happen with my family's Asian New Year celebrations. And I'm not sure 100% if other countries do or not. I had a little trouble figuring that out. But anyone who's celebrating Chinese New Year, there's also the little red envelopes, which people may have seen and kind of wondered what are those things. So the little red envelopes are usually decorated with images of whatever the coming year is going to be in terms of the zodiac. So like little rats or little boars or little dogs or whatever. And those little red packets are usually given from older members of the family or married couples in the family or parents to the younger generation. So for instance, my husband and I, you know, I'm, we're a married couple. In theory, if our family did that, we would give little red envelopes to my niece and his nieces, that kind of thing. Or, you know, he's got a couple of younger cousins who aren't married, so maybe we'd give them little red envelopes. And traditionally, those envelopes in, are containing money. The amount of money varies. There's going to be, you know, changes based off of how much can the person giving you the envelope afford, as well as how close are you to them. For example, my husband and I, because we've got nieces, would probably be giving them more than, say, a distant cousin that we've never met. 
kind of thing. You know, they're not likely to get much, if anything at all, for a red envelope sort of situation. So there's a lot of variability in how much the person will get from the different family members. But it's supposed to be money that's sort of like a warding off evil in the new year kind of idea. Um, It translates to roughly the money used to suppress or put down the evil spirit. So it's, it's money that you used for that reason. It's like good luck money almost to start off the year with, which is a different idea than what we do over here. There's also a lot of gift giving and things like that and different things exchanged with Asian New Year that are not always done with Western New Year. It either might be gifts given, but it's usually more like a party favor as opposed to an actual gift. So there's quite a few differences in how the two different cultures would celebrate those. And of course, now with the spread of Westernization and the Gregorian calendar and Western New Year's, December 31st and January 1st being everywhere, things have morphed slightly and places where traditionally something was very heavily celebrated as the Asian or Chinese New Year might be shifting towards the December 31st New Year. There's a lot of changes all over, but those are some of the differences between the two. Uh, sorry, this episode might have been a little rambly and all over the place, but it was a lot of information and I have personal experience with it. So I, I feel like I tend to go off on tangents slightly more when that happens. So sorry about that, guys. But I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll be back next week with a new topic. Please remember to check out all the other wonderful shows and productions that we have at nerdsmith.org. You can submit questions or topic suggestions to me on Twitter at amethyst underscore magic with a CK. Or you can email me at geekthyself at nerdsmith.org. I'll be back next week with a new and interesting topic. Until then, don't forget to geek thyself. So you already love D&D, obviously, but you want to sharpen your skills as a DM or player, right? Enter Dear DM, a Dungeons & Dragons advice podcast where I sit down with your favorite dungeon masters and answer D&D questions asked by you. Natural 20 is nudist. Um... <laughs> <laughs> a plucked kanku. Uh, charisma. Dump sack charisma. <laughs> really? Great questions in the community today. Some really fun bits to, to talk on and expand on. So Episodes release every other Tuesday and are available at nerdsmith.org or wherever you get your podcasts.